0: knows those people that seem like everything's perfect, right? They have the perfect house. It's always clean. They have the perfect looking family, what looks like a great marriage and adorable children and so much nachas. And they just look like they have it all down pat. Everything is perfect. But as we all know, as mature adults, nobody's perfect. But really, it's not just a statement like, oh, nobody's perfect. What it really means is that everybody has their thing. That even though that family may look perfect, there's the child that Hassan Helm is struggling, or maybe their marriage isn't as happy as it appears, or maybe they're not happy as and as happy as they look, or maybe it's smaller things, like maybe they're having trouble at work, or maybe they have car trouble. Everyone has something that is imperfect, something that's difficult for them, something that's not exactly what it looks like on the surface. And Moshe Rabbeinu was one of those people. Moshe Rabinu's life looks fantastic to us from the outside. He was the leader of Amisrael. In Mimosha, there was no one like Moshe. He was amazing. He was able to speak to Hashem face to face. Nobody was able to have such a close connection with a Kaddish Baruch Hu like Moshe Rabinu. He was able to go up and receive the Torah. He learned Torah directly from Hashem. Moshe had everything that we can imagine as a firm person, as being ideal in our lives. But yet, Moshe Rabbeinu, like any other person, also had those things that were difficult for him. And I would like to say that he has a few very difficult things in his life. One that we are not going to touch on is his relationship with his wife. It is very unclear what his relationship with Sipporah was, whether they were together at all from the time that he married her, and then when he returned to Egypt. It's unclear whether his family returned back for the entire time that he was in Egypt, whether they were there for part of the time when they left, when they came back, but that we're not going to touch on today. But the first point that I want to discuss, there was a difficult point in Moshe's life, was the fact that Moshe's children did not follow in his ways. How do we know that? There is a midrash in Bamid Rabbah. And the midrash in Bamid Barabba is telling us about when Hashem told Moshe to appoint Yahushua ben Nun to be the leader after him. If you look eight di- lines down in the midrash, it starts in the middle of the line. Take for yourself Yahushua bin Nun. V'asa Moshe b'tuv ayin, and Moshe did what Hashem had said, he did what was right. Shana mar tov ayin huyivorach. Mashal sh'amar leben b'to, ten leplu'i This is This is like a mashal to a king who tells ben Bito, a member of his household, ten leplu'i sa'ashal Give this person a measure of barley. Halach v'natan lo He goes and gives him two measures. Amarlo, um, he says to him, Harisa a Mishal Mela. One measure is from the king, Visa a Mishali, and one sa, one unit is from me. So too Hashem said to Moshe, Visa Mahta at yadcha alav. You should rest your hands on him. Yadechad maasavi smoch at yadavitzavehu v'kali mashanemar tuvayin huvarach. What is it talking about? What is the nimshal to this mashal? When Hashem says to take Yehoshua ben Nun, he says to Moshe that Moshe should al that Moshe should take his hands and put them on Yehoshua's hand, head. One hand should represent the power of, the transferring of power from Hashem, that Hashem is doing some sort of smicha unto Yehoshua, that Hashem is appointing Yehoshua. And the other hand should represent Moshe passing down the leadership that one hand is from Moshe and one hand is from Hashem. L'fichach, notzar te'ina The Midrash then goes on and says, seemingly disconnected, that one who tends a date tree will reap its fruit. Lama nimshala Torah The Midrash tells us that this is a mashal for Torah. Why is Torah Compared to a te'ina, to a date tree, Shabrov that most of the trees, the all of the other trees get collected at once. There is one season in which they fruit and in which they bloom and they are collected then. But the te'ina, the date tree blooms slowly, slowly and you are constantly able to collect from it. It's not like there's one harvest season. You are able to harvest over a longer period of time. So too with Torah, that today you can learn a little, and tomorrow you can learn a little, and the next day you can learn a little. And it says, but they did not learn this year, and they did not learn last year, and they did not learn next year. What is this Midrash talking about? If you fill in here in the Midrash, there was a conversation that happened. Hashem told Moshe to appoint Yahushua bin Nun, to be the next leader of Amishal, after Moshe was going to no longer be with the nation. And Moshe said to Hashem, he said, Come on, Hashem, we just had the story of Benot Salafchat. If even these women, these Benot Salafchat that have no father, they're able to inherit land. You are going to tell me that my children aren't going to be able to inherit my role? He says, these girls that don't have a father, they're even able to inherit something. But my children can't inherit, can't my children follow after me? And Hashem answers him and says, Your children didn't learn Torah, Moshe. Your children did not follow after you. Yoshua ben Nun, it's almost as if he is your child. He is your student, but he has also learned Torah. He has learned Torah day and night. Yoshua ben Nun was constantly learning. And therefore, although your children, your biological children, cannot take over after you, Yeshua ben Nun, who is your student, and therefore, like your child, Yeshua ben Nun is going to take over for you. And Moshe resigned himself there to the fact that his children did not follow in his ways. How do we know further that Moshe's children did not follow in his ways? If we look at the end of Parak Shoftim, of, of Sefer Shoftim, in Parak Yirchan. Now, the end of Sefer Shoftim is truly a... Sad period in Jewish history. If you look at the end of, of Sefer Shoftim, it is a complete deterioration of society. There's a breakdown in the basic constructs upon which a moral and ethical society is built. Where do we see that? We see that in the story of Pesel Micha, in the story of Pilagesh Begiva. There is immorality. There is just a complete disintegration of society. So we see in the end of Shoptim, <inaudible> B'naidan set up the pesel, the idol that they are going to worship. The Yehonatan ben Gershom ben Minasha, who ubanav hayu ha kohanim. And who was going to be their kohen in this, to this pesel, to this idol? It was going to be Yehonatan ben Gershom ben Minasha. And him and his sons are going to be the kohanim. However, there is something strange, and whenever there's an abnormality in the way the text is, not just the way the text is phrased, but in the way the text itself is written, that calls our attention to focus on why they changed the style of the text in that area. Rashi comments here, if you look at the word minasha, the nun is smaller than the rest of the letters, and the nun is raised above the other letters. So Rashi comments here, ben menasheh, Because of the covenant of Moshe, the letter Nun was added in order to change the name. The Neftab Tsuyan was written Reiz Lomar Shalohaya Menashe El Moshe. So the text was doing something tricky here. Who was Yehonatan ben Gershom ben Minasha? It was really Yehonatan ben Gershom ben Moshe. Gershom was the son of Moshe and Yehonatan was his son. Therefore Yehonatan was the grandson of Moshe Rabi. However, in order to respect the kavod of Moshe, the text adds in a nun, as if to say this is Ben Minasha, to not make it so clearly obvious that this was the grandson of Moshe. However, in order to maintain its honesty and the integrity of the text, the, the nun is raised in order to show us that this was something added in order to protect Moshe, but in order for us to really know who this person is, his real lineage, the nun is raised to show us that it doesn't really belong there. So there's kind of this balance between we want to respect Moshe's kabod while recognizing that we need to truly attribute this person to who they are. That it is important for us to know the lineage, but at the same time, we want to respect and protect Moshe Rabbeinu. So this is pretty bad. Then not only did Moshe Rabbeinu's children not follow in his ways, but his own grandson was the one involved in serving Pesel Micha. He was the Kohen in this terrible event that occurred to Am Yisrael. So that is the first sticking point for Moshe Rabbeinu, that Moshe Rabbeinu's life looks perfect. He is able to serve Hashem in the most optimal way. However, his children don't follow in his ways. And that's painful for Moshe Rabbeinu. We see from the Midrash in which he questions, Hashem, please, please let my children follow after me. And Hashem says they can't. They're not worthy. Moshe, you have to accept them for who they are, and they may not take over your mantle of leadership. And while Moshe continues on as a leader, he continues on as a leader with the knowledge that his leadership ends there, that it will not continue on through his generations. So that is one difficult point for Moshe, that everything is perfect except that his children do not follow in his ways. The next difficulty for Moshe Rabinu is one that may not have occurred to all of us, but that is the difficulty that Moshe Rabinu is not a Kohen that only Aaron and his children are able to be Kohanim. How do we know that this is something that was difficult for Moshe? Maybe I'm making it up. Maybe Moshe was perfectly content. He said, you know what? I have more than enough jobs. I have to lead this nation. I have to feed this nation. I have to give this nation to drink. I have to take care of everything. I have to make sure we get to Eretz Israel. Enough. I don't need to be a Kohan. That no thank you. That is not important to me. Maybe I'm making it up, but I don't think I am. I don't usually make things up in cheer. <laughs> So if we look in the text, at the end of this week's parsha, it says in Parachat Pasach What is happening here? Throughout Parshat Tzav, Moshe Rabbeinu is teaching Aaron and his sons how to give the different karbanu, he, and then he is anointing them as the kohanim. He shows them how to do the karban, they watch him, and then there is a transition in which he dresses them in their priestly clothing, he anoints them with oil, they go, th- go through this process, and then they become the Kohanim and they begin to give the karbanot. So it says, Vayishchat, and above the word Vayishchat, that Moshe slaughtered, there is what is called a shalas. A shalas is the little squiggly line. And whenever there is a shall, shall us, that is the truck that tells us that that word is going to be extended. It is a drawn out sound. I am not going to sing it. A, it would not be clear. B, I have a terrible voice. But it is a shall shellus. That means that the sound of that word is drawn out. It kind of goes up and down like a squiggly line. And whenever there is a shall, shall us, that too draws our attention to that word because it is meant to be extended. There is clearly meant to be an emphasis placed on it. So the Al Koshimoni, the Midrash, tries to explain to us why the Shalshalos is there. It Says, "Veishcha veikach Moshe Tadam veitkin al karnod hamizbayach. Kol shivat yemei hamiluim hayam Moshe mishamish bekuchuna gedola. Hu hayashuchei, hu hayazurik, hu hayamaze, hu hayamachti, hu hayilzak, hu hayavchaper. Veikach namar veikach veishcha." For all of these 70s, the 70s of establishing the Mishkan, Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who took care of the Karbanot. He was the one who shafted them. He was the one who gathered the blood. He was the one who poured the blood. He was the one who sprinkled. He was the one who brought Kapara to Amisrael. Mashallah, what can this be compared to? This is like a young princess who follows along around her mother and her mother's home to learn how to be a part of the royal family until she is old enough to actually become a member of the royalty. That it's training to learn what you are supposed to do. So, Arun So too with Arun. When Arun began, he was none, else, none other than a lady. haya Arun Mish nitbakhirli yo koing gazol, America dishravel of Aaron. Now you should allow Aaron to follow around after you he should learn from you until he learns what to do. Hayamush shohi ve Aaron ro alto, mushe vacht en Aaron would watch him. Zoreik v Aaron alto, he would sprinkle the blood and Aaron would watch him. Mazev Aaron ro alto, again he would sprinkle and Aaron would watch him. Every step along the way, Aaron was watching Moshe in order to learn what to do. So what is this shalshalas? The Yalkut Shimoni continues on and says that the shalshalas is there in order to tell us that Moshe hesitated. That just like we pause on this word, like we have to pause and emphasize this word, so too Moshe Rabbeinu paused. Because for seven days until now, Moshe had been the one serving in the role of the Kohen Gadol. And he knew that with this last shachting this was the end of his time as the Kohen Gadol. And therefore, he paused. He hesitated. He didn't want to give up this job. Moshe Rabbeinu would have loved to be the Kohen Gadol. And therefore, he holds on to it till the last drop, literally, the last drop of blood. He knows he is going to have to pass on this privilege to Aaron, and he's going to do it. We see that he does pass it along. However, he hesitates before he does so. He pauses for a moment to reflect on the fact that he is no longer going to be the Kohen after this last action. But why was it Moshe a Kohen? We're taking it for granted that he knew he was going to pass along this responsibility. Obviously, at this point, by now he already knew, because Hashem had told him explicitly how to train Aaron. But until then, we, we simply say that we understand, we know that Moshe was not meant to be a Kohen, but why is that? Why is Moshe not the Kohen as well? And it says in the first Pasuk of next week's Parsha, in the first Pasuk of Parsha Shemini, And it was on the eighth day, and Moshe called it to Aaron and to his sons and to all of the elders of Am Israel. The Baal comments here, and before we go into the statement of the balaturim, we just have to understand the style of the balaturim. The balaturim often takes out the punctuation and reads the pasuk with the words grouped differently in order to provide a different explanation. And while clearly that's not the most shot explanation, that using the proper punctuation is meant to guide us to understand the pasuk in a specific way, when the punctuation is moved around, we can come to different understandings of lipsukim that are more of a drash level, but they definitely provide us with insightful understandings of the psukim. So the Balatiram comments and says, This parasha happened on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Amar Moshe, Moshe said, Moshe says, Because I refused for seven days by the Sneh, by the burning bush. Therefore, I was only Zocha to serve for seven days. Where is the Balaturim getting this reading? He rereads the Pasuk and says, B'yom hashmini kara Moshe. On, this, on the eighth day, he became known again as Moshe. Hashmini kara Moshe. On the eighth day, he was Moshe. This is implying that on that day, he was no longer the Kohen, according to the Baal Aturim. And Moshe addresses this problem of why is he no longer the Kohen? And he says, because I refused and I refuted Hashem's words for seven days by the snap, by the burning bush. Therefore, I was able to serve as the Kohen Gadol for seven days. Why does that make sense? I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem to make sense that if Moshe denied the word of God, that he would then be rewarded by being able to be the Kohen Gadol for seven days. Undoubtedly, serving as the Kohen Gadol is a reward, not a punishment. Shouldn't you be punished for not following in Hashem's ways? So why does this make any sense? And Rav Simcha Zizl, in his Sefer Sam Darach, gives a very interesting explanation of this Midrash. He says, why was Moshe refuting Hashem's words? Why did Moshe not want to go down to Egypt? It was based in positive midos. That Moshe said, I am so humble. Moshe, in his humility, said, I am not worthy of this mission to Egypt. And his sensitivity to his older brother, he said, I cannot go down while my brother remains and is not the leader of Amishal. How can I do that? So even though Moshe was going directly against the word of Hashem, he was doing so for a positive reason that he didn't want to hurt his brother Aaron. He didn't think he was worthy of it. He was so humble. He was so. Simple, he didn't want to take on anything that he thought was too important for him. So it was his humility, it was his sensitivity that gave him fuel to fight back against the words of Hashem. And therefore, what Reb says is that that is what the Midrash is telling us, that because even though Moshe went against Hashem's words, because he went against Hashem's words for a positive reason, it was rooted in a positive trait Therefore, he was rewarded and he was able to serve as the Kohenagel for seven days. However, there is an opposite approach, and that is based on the Pasuk in Shmuel Parak Dalad that happens by the snap. It says, It says in this Pasuk and Pasuk Yadalad, then Hashem became angry at Moshe, and he said, Hello Aaron Achicha Halevi. Isn't your brother Aaron, does, doesn't he already know that I spoke to you? Vigam um, he named you kratech, and he is coming out to greet you, and he will greet you v'samach belibo, and he will be happy in his heart. The Gemara in Zvachim asks the question here, why specifically do we emphasize that Aaron Achicha Halevi? And the Gemara tells us, "Kitania vayichar Hashem Hashem b'Moshe." It says in this pasuk that Hashem became angry with Moshe. Rabbi Yeshua ben Karacholmer, Rabbi Yoshua ben Kol Charon Torah. Anytime it says that Hashem is angry in the Torah, Neimar bo it gives us a reason as well. Vezelu Neimar bo But our, in our pasuk here, we are not provided with a punishment that can, that comes based on Hashem being angry here. Rabbi He says, "No, no. Here it also says a punishment that that was incurred through this anger of Hashem." Hello What he says is the key word is Halevi. The the, low, the hello kohen hu. Shouldn't it say Aaron hakohen? No, but it says here, Aaron Achichah ha This is drawing attention to the fact that it says levi here specifically. That Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, originally Aaron was meant to be the levi and you were going to be the Kohim. But because you fought back, because you refused to do my will, it is going to be reversed. That you are now going to stay as a levi and Aaron and his family are going to become the Kohanim. So based on this explanation, though, how do we understand the statement of the Bala? Turim, the Moshe says that it was because of the fact that he fought back at the Sneh that he was able to serve as the Kohen Gadol for seven days. And for this, we have to take a combination of the two answers. That, yes, although he was punished, he was meant to be the Kohen Gadol for eternity, but he was punished and only able to do it for seven days. He was able to do it for even those seven days only because his complaints and his arguments back against Hashem were based in positive mitos. So he was meant to be the Kohen forever and he lost that privilege. But he was able to maintain that priv- privilege for seven, days, um, for seven days because his arguments against Hashem were based in positive mitos. So now we've established these two tricky areas in Moshe's life. The first area is that Moshe's children did not follow in his ways. The second area is that Moshe was not able to serve as a Kohen Gadol. That yes, he may have been able to communicate with Hashem in a closer way than any other human being. But at the same time, he was not able to serve in the holiest, most closely connected role to Hashem. That that role was given over to his brother instead of him. So as I was reading through Parshat Tzav, I was struck by the fact that this Parsha and the events that happen in this Parsha must have been so difficult for Moshe Rabbeinu. That if there was a way to take the two things that were most painful to Moshe Rabbeinu and rub it in his face, that's what happens in Parsha Tzav. Throughout the Parsha, Moshe has to show Aaron and his sons what to do. He has to lead them and educate them. And then after that, he has to dress them. He has to anoint them with oil. He has to be the one to make them into the Kohanim. And what could have been more difficult for Moshe Rabbeinu than not only giving over the kahuna to Aaron, but giving over the kahuna to Aaron's sons, seeing how Aaron's sons are following exactly in his ways, how they are following after him, how not only does Aaron get this incredible role, but he is able to pass it on to secure himself a legacy to the generations, that he is going to pass on the kihuna for eternity. Unlike Moshe Rabinu, who although he is the leader, although he is closest to Hashem right now, he has no continuity of the job that he is doing right now. So this must have been so incredibly difficult for Moshe Rabinu. Why have him do it then? Why have him do it? Why have him present this to us? What does all of this come to teach us? And I think in order to understand it, we can look at the Megillah, convenient because Parim's this week, but I really think that looking at the Megillah gives us an incredible insight into how Parshat Sav could have turned out dif- differently and what we can learn from Moshe Rabbeinu here. The Gemara and Hulin gives us hints to different characters that are found in the Megillah in the text of the Torah. It says Haman min HaTorah minayin. Where do we see Haman in the Torah? Haman In Imrich's pair, Gimel, Aleph. It says Haman Haits, talking about of course the Hadas. Then Kuzan Esther min HaTorah minayin. Where do we learn about Esther in the Torah? In Devarim Aleph, V'anoki Haster Astier. Mordechai bin ha-Torah where do we see Mordechai in the Torah, and Pasach, Gimel, Amar, And the Gemara goes on and gives us different hints to different characters that can be found in the Torah. But what is the significance of the fact that the Pasach that alludes to Haman is Hamin ha What was the problem that Adam and Chava faced? Adam and Chava had the entire Gan Eden, they had literally a perfectly built world with everything available to them. Hashem created them with anything and everything that they could possibly need. But Hashem says to them, there's one tree. One tree, you can have anything else in the entire God. But that one tree, don't touch that one. That you can't have. And the Nahash comes and picks up on that one soft spot says you think you have everything and he points out to them you don't have everything you think your life is perfect it's not perfect there's one thing that you can't have and he turns their focus the snake manages to turn their attention from everything they do have to the one thing that they don't have and once you focus on that one thing that you don't have that's all that you can pay attention to and that's what happened to Adam and Chava they failed They felt such a need to take from that one thing that they couldn't have, to try to make that one thing theirs. And we know that ultimately, that led to us losing so much else that we had beforehand. That we no longer had this perfect world because we only focused in on what was lacking in the world, what we couldn't have in the world, what wasn't perfect. And therefore, we lost everything else that we did have. Haman was very much the same way. In Parakimal of the Megillah, after the entire saga with Vashti and the parties and the choosing of Esther, we then shift our focus to the political leadership in Shushan. And it says Gidel Haman After all of these things came to pass, our um Achashverosh elevated Haman. He appointed Haman over all of his other officers. Haman, his chair became higher than everybody else's. He was in charge in the kingdom. And all I, I have the desire to like cheer out Haman, Haman's name. All of the officers of the king, all of the servants of the king, used to bow down to Haman. He claimed Sivalo because this was the commandment from Haman. And the king had commanded this Mortify But Mordecai but did not bow and did not prostrate himself. The Megillah then continues on. Every day mortify used to be told again and again, but he didn't listen to them. And they came to him and they said you have to see this. They told Haman that this Mordechai was a Yehudi. And Mord- um, Mordechai did not bow down to Haman, and Haman's attention was called to this. And when he saw that Mordechai didn't bow down to him, he was filled with khima. He was filled with anger. And he girded lo at Amor de Chay, and he shamed Haman the Hashmim at all of them, as he beholds the Chodah Chashverosh at Amor de Chay. Haman was so angry he wanted to destroy not only Mordechai but Mordechai's entire nation. And he found out that Mordechai was a Jew, and therefore he set out on a mission to destroy the entire Jewish people. Yusuf ibn Yechia Al, al um, Esther, one of the Mefarshim on Megillah, Esther comments and says, Haman. lo Originally, before Haman's attention was called to it, the thought was that Mordechai's lack of bowing down to Haman would would just not be noticed. He was in such a minority that it would just not be noticed. Everyone else, the great majority, was bowing down to Haman. How could it be? It's not possible that Haman would have noticed. But after his attention was alerted to this, Haman paid special attention. He noticed that Mordechai was not bowing down to him. But to Haman, this ruined his serara. This ruined his complete rulership over the people. <inaudible> Therefore, he was filled with anger. What is this telling us? That originally, it was just one person. It was just Mordechai. It's not a big deal. Everyone else, the great vast majority is bowing down to Haman. There's one little Jewish guy who's not bowing down to Haman. What's the big deal? But once Haman's attention was drawn to the fact that Mordecai was not bowing down, he was so filled with anger. That was all he could focus on. It didn't matter to him that 99.99999% of the kingdom was bowing down to him. If there was this one person that was standing up to him, that's what's going to call all this attention. That is going to distract him from everyone else who is bowing down to him. This midah of Haman is the reason that he is alluded to by the Pasak Hamin ha'itz. That it is the same midah here. It is the midah of focusing on on the one thing that you don't have. It's looking past all of the good in life and focusing only on the negative. There is a famous story with Rav Cook, and I am definitely going to butcher the story. But someone came to Rav Cook's office, and Rav Cook put a black dot on the white wall, and Rav Cook said what do you see on this wall? And the man said, I see a black dot. And Rav Cook said, is that how you look at life? That there is an entire white wall and all you see is the one tiny black dot? It can't be. This is a white wall, not a black dot. And that is the message that we see in the negative in Haman and I believe in the positive in Moshe. that in Haman, There is this focus on the negative. There is this focus on if he does not have exactly what he wants, if Haman does not get every single individual in the kingdom to bow down to him, then anything he has is inconsequential. He does not care if it is not perfect. If there is even that one Jew that is not bowing down to him, he can't feel good about himself. He can't feel content. And we see how dangerous that can be. That with Haman it leads to the almost complete destruction of the Jewish people. With Adam and Chava it leads to our exile from Gan This Mida of looking at only the negative in your life can be so detrimental. The opposite, however, is Moshe Rabenu. That Moshe Rabenu epitomizes what it says in Perkei Avos in the list that Ben Zoma gives us: Ezelu Chacham Halumi Mikul Adam. Who is the wise one? The one who learns from everybody. Ezehu gibor, who is the strong one, hakobe shes the one who is able to overcome his yitzra, his evil inclination. Ezehu ashir, who is the one who is wealthy, the one who is happy with his portion. And Moshe is the one who teaches us this. That Moshe could have focused on the negative. He could have said... What is the point of serving if my children are not going to continue on after me? What is the point in being so close to Hashem if I can't serve as a kohen? If I can't serve in that formal role of connection to Hashem? What's the point? What's the purpose? However, Moshe overcomes it. Moshe goes on and the, the Parsha that come, this Parsha, and all the Parsha that follow specifically tell us, that Moshe listened to what Hashem said. And Moshe listened to what Hashem said. And Moshe did exactly by the word of Hashem. He listens. He moves on. He focuses on the good. He gets past it. He is able to look at the bigger picture and say, these might be sticking points. But 99.999% is perfect. Everything else is great. I am the b'chalki. I am happy in my portion. But you're going to say to me, do we we really expect Moshe Rabinu to act like Haman? Do we really expect Moshe Rabinu to fail at this? To say, oh, you know what? The one thing I don't have is not being a Kohen. So I'm going to put my foot down and I will not listen to Hashem. After everything Hashem told me to do, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to dress my nephews in their Kohen garb. I'm not going to appoint them as Kohanim. It's too painful for me. No, we don't expect that. But what we also don't expect necessarily is for the Torah to tell us about the hesitation. And since the Torah tells us about the hesitation, it draws our attention to the lesson we can learn here. That Moshe is a primary example of someone who is samech b'chalko. He focuses on what he does have. But it's not without the struggle. He does pause in parashat tzav before he passes on the mantle of leadership to Yahushua. Later on in the Torah, before he passes on the kihuna here in this week's parsha to Aaron, he does pause. It's not that he doesn't know that he has these negatives in his life. He knows they exist. He hesitates. He pauses. But we learn from Moshe is that he's able to move on. That it's not that he's ignorant to these things in his life. It's not that they don't exist. They exist. They're there. He's aware of them but he is able to look past them. He is able to be sameach b'chalkam, to be happy with what he has. Things are hard, things are difficult. But what's important in the end is to focus on what we do have, to continue on with what we are meant to do in life, to look at the broader picture and not focus in on those smaller things, those thorns that are always there, those challenges that come up along the way. So Amir as we go into this holiday of Purim, that then leads into Shabbos Parshat Tzav. May we be able to recognize the evil of Haman and how Haman was someone who was only able to focus on the negative and not learn from Haman. Rather, may we be able to look at Moshe as an example, as a role model of how to overcome this midah of Haman, how to not look at the negatives in our lives and allow them to drag us down, but to focus on the positives and to truly be so may I the hulking you to be happy with our lot.